0: We started a series last week about um, forgiveness, and last week we looked at um, God being a forgiving God, and because he is that way, we can be a forgiving people. So as we jump into this week, I uh, thought even though we just prayed a prayer, prayer of blessing over our children, let's, um, let's just stop and pause for a moment and, um, and recognize um, each other and then also uh, the presence of the Lord among us. So I'm going to invite you before you have a look around the room. Uh, you know you want to see who's wearing the coolest mask and uh, just see the room and, and how it is and who's here and um, maybe who's not here and and just recognize that this is community and uh we are the body of christ and for some of you you think the body of christ is beautiful and others think it's ugly it doesn't matter um it's how god sees us and uh, we've been called to follow him together and journey together so let's recognize that right now thank you that you are the god who speaks in the quietness What the psalmist reminds us of in Psalm 46, but we're also reminded that yours is the voice that shatters the cedars of Lebanon and yours is the voice that rages over the waters and tells them to stop and to be still. And maybe today uh, for some of us, we need the raging voice that you offer God and for others just need a whisper. And you know, each of us, and what it is that we need. Thank you that you knit us together in Christ. With all of our differences, with all of our variances, with all of our commonalities, you weave us together into a household, into a tree, into uh, a body, into a family. And with you, Jesus, there's always arms wide open for one more. Thanks for being among us here today. Amen. Well, I thought today we would participate a little bit in kind of like Mr. Rogers. So I even wore my sneakers, although I didn't put them on. Um, And I want to read a story for you. It's a story about forgiveness. And sometimes I wonder if we make forgiveness... A little too simple. And I want to read a story for you from this book, uh, from a man named Miroslav Volf, who, um, who kind of grew up in Eastern Europe in Bosnia, Herzegovina, the Croats, the Serbs, the Bosnians. Some of you will remember the war that happened there in the 90s. And in this book, he tells a couple stories. And I wanted to begin today with one story, and then we'll end with another story from his book. This is what he writes about forgiveness. This whole book is about forgiveness. It's called Free of Charge. A sense that people should get what they deserve isn't the only obstacle to forgiving, even if it may be the most common one. Abuse can traumatize a self so terribly that it finds the very thought of forgiveness impossible. The rifle butt in the back, wrote Zlatko Dizdarovic, an award-winning Bosnian journalist, Shatters everything civilization has ever accomplished, removes all finer human sentiments, and wipes out any sense of justice, compassion, and forgiveness. He is exaggerating, but not by much. A Muslim woman, a teacher from Bosnia, who was a victim from a recent war in that blood soaked land, gave voice to the pain of her shattered self and to the impossibility of forgiveness. Sparsely and vividly, she told the story of how hate was born in her soul during the war. I am a Muslim, and I am 35 years old. To my second son, who was just born, I have given the name Jihad, so he would not forget the testament of his mother. Revenge. The first time I put my baby at my breast, I told him, may this milk choke you if you forget it. So be it. The Serbs taught me to hate. For the last two months, there was nothing in me, no pain, no bitterness, only hatred. I taught these children to love. I did. I'm a teacher of literature. I was born in Ilias and I almost died there. My student, Zoran, the only son of my neighbor, urinated into my mouth. As the bearded hooligan standing around laughed, he told me, You are good for nothing else, you stinking Muslim woman. I do not know whether I first heard the yelling or felt the blow. My former colleague, a teacher of physics, was yelling like mad, Ustasha, Ustasha, and kept hitting me wherever he could. I have become insensitive to pain, but my soul, it hurts. I taught them to love, and all the while they made preparations to destroy everything that is not of the orthodox faith. Jihad, war, that is the only way. And what horrendous humiliation, writes Wolf. a violation that mutes speech and makes rage glow like hot lava. Its memory must stab the victim's soul the way nails pierce the flesh of the crucified. Can the mother of jihad ever forgive Can Jihad, who nursed the milk of her vengeance, ever know anything other than revenge? Today, we want to look at what it means to be a forgiving people. And I think in the church, we love the concept of forgiveness. And I've said this before, uh, borrowed it from someone else I don't know who. Forgiveness sounds like a great idea until you have to give it. And we often talk about the need for forgiveness. And what we envision is the simple things in life, the petty offenses that make forgiveness easy. But this world is anything but easy. And life is complex and complicated. And people are walking around with enormous amounts of pain of which we have no idea. And as Lewis Smead, uh, an author who wrote about forgiveness, said, it's... uh, hurt is like a nettle that's stuck in the soul and the only way to remove it is through surgery and that surgical procedure is forgiveness so i want to look at a passage of scripture today we looked last week at matthew 6 where where jesus teaches us to pray forgive as we have been forgiven And then this week, I'd like to jump over to Matthew chapter 18. It's a whole chapter, Jesus. Really, the whole chapter is set in the setting of forgiveness. And a passage of scripture in there that some of you may be familiar with. We often use it when it comes to the idea of, of resolving conflict and when we have to confront someone. And Jesus is teaching his followers, and he says this to them in Matthew 18, beginning at verse 15. If another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you have won that person back. But if you are unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back again so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. If the person still refuses to listen, take your case to the church. Then if he or she won't accept the church's decision, treat that person as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector. I tell you the truth, whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven, and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. I also tell you this, if two of you agree here on earth concerning anything you ask, my Father in heaven will do it for you. For where two or three gather together as my followers, I am there among them. And maybe you never realize this, but one of the verses that we use a lot when we're together in the church is where two or three gather in my name, I am there among them. And maybe you never realize that the context of that verse is placed in the setting of forgiveness. Because God is a forgiving God, we can be a forgiving people. But forgiveness is much more maybe than we realize. And I thought today we would spend some time looking at and exploring the idea of what forgiveness is not. Sometimes it's helpful to understand a concept by looking at what it isn't. Like the woman in the story that we just heard from, forgiveness can be very complicated. And yet as we looked last week, And as we look at the stories in Matthew 18, forgiveness is really not an option for people who profess to follow Jesus. So last week in Matthew 6, verse 15, Jesus, as he teaches the prayer for his followers to pray, follows it up with the concept of forgiveness. If you forgive people, you will be forgiven. If you do not forgive people, if you refuse to forgive them, my father will not forgive you. And the impetus there is that forgiveness must characterize the people of God as a community, as individual followers of Jesus. And as we look at the context in Matthew 18, when Jesus gives us what we just read, this teaching, he follows it up with a story about forgiveness. And at the very end of that story, where Jesus tells a story about a person who is unwilling to forgive, Jesus says, if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart, this is what my father will do to you. And he's referring to the story of what happens to the man who refuses to forgive his colleague. Forgiveness is not an option. Are you familiar with the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and the second is like it. What is it? Love your neighbor as yourself. And that's taken from Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, and if you go back and you read that, the instruction that comes before the phrase love your neighbor as yourself is this, do not take revenge on your neighbor. The great commandment is tied to the concept of forgiveness. And when forgiveness begins to flow, there's a beauty and a power that is present in it, unlike almost anything else that our world can experience it's not an option for us but let's be honest forgiveness can sometimes be exceedingly difficult to give so if you look at these verses here i want to point out something verse 12 um, or verse 15 jesus says if another believer sins against you go privately and point out the offense If the other person listens and confesses it, you have won that person back. And throughout these verses, Jesus keeps saying, if the person receives, welcomes you, if it works out, if it works out. And Jesus is implying that this is going to be difficult. In fact, after he tells the story about forgiveness, Peter comes to him and asks, Well, how many times should I forgive? Because Peter's wrestling with what Jesus is saying to him. And then Jesus tells a story about the difficulty of forgiveness and says, you have got to work through this. Forgiveness is exceptionally difficult to give sometimes. And we recognize sometimes it might be easy to give. Somebody said something that hurt you and offended you, and you were able to work through that and to extend forgiveness. But the amount of pain that you receive in the offense is probably going to have a huge influence on your ability to give forgiveness. It will determine how long it takes you to walk through that journey, to, to go down that road of forgiveness. It will determine uh, how much pain and work and, and difficulty you are going to have in being able to forgive. And I know that in this room, there must be some of you that are here. And the idea of forgiving someone who has hurt you or your family so deeply and so much is excruciating. Because forgiveness is not always easy to give. And I'm so appreciative of the fact that when I see Jesus giving this teaching about going to someone and confronting them, that he is, he is through his teaching, giving the implication that it is not always easy if they will receive it, if it works. And there's three times when Jesus is playing out three scenarios where it's not working, it's not working, it's not working. And the encouragement is don't give up because God is a forgiving God. And you remember last week we had mentioned that um, when we forgive, it's not as if we're saying, hey, it doesn't matter, don't worry about justice, don't worry about consequences, just forgive. Because the very act of forgiving is to name the offense and to condemn it and the one who was involved in it. And then the forgiveness is to release them from the debt that is owed. So when God forgives us, he both gives the forgiveness, but he is naming and condemning the offense. And we are doing the same thing when we journey through this process of giving forgiveness. It's not always easy to give, and the other side of that coin is forgiveness is not always easy to accept. If somebody's offended you, go to them. If you win that person back, or if they receive it, you've won that person over. If they do not, what's the implication? They're not receiving the forgiveness that you want to give. If it doesn't work out the first time, get somebody else, go back. And if that doesn't help the person creatively invite uh, the rest of the family into this conversation, and even then it might not work. Forgiveness sometimes can be very difficult to receive. At least I think it is. Have you ever had somebody come to you and tell you that you hurt them? How did it feel? Especially if you didn't know that you did it and you're caught off guard and you're like, what? And then the first thing that happens is we want to, we want to like defend ourselves. You know, you're too, you take offense too easily. That's too soft. I didn't really mean that. Sometimes receiving forgiveness can be really hard because it might be a pride issue. Maybe it's, maybe it's the, the, complica- the complications or the complexities of what is going on. Have you ever sent a text message or an email to somebody and they just read it entirely the wrong way? Or is that just me that that happens to? And then you have to work through that. It might be sometimes, you know, it's a very complex issue. It might be that there's a fear involved that if you actually admit that you did something wrong, the consequences of that might be something that you don't want to entertain the idea of. And so there's all these reasons why forgiveness might be difficult to receive. And what Jesus is doing here is Is giving some some awareness for us in this in this teaching if they refuse if they refuse if they refuse extending forgiveness doesn't mean everything's going to work out if only if only it could be like that and many times it will it will work out and and people will be reconciled sometimes it's just hard and everything in you just wants to give up on a person because it's not worth it. It's not always easy to give, it's not always easy to receive. And then I think if you track along here, I think there's this sense that Jesus is giving us in this teaching that it's not limited. And again, I think this comes down to uh, the complexity of the scenario, the difficulty of it. But I find it fascinating that when Jesus gives this teaching, go to someone when they've offended you, when they've hurt you, when they owe you. And the, the idea is, extend forgiveness, and they might refuse and bring someone else and extend forgiveness, and they might refuse and bring others and extend forgiveness, and they might refuse. Whatever you bind on Earth will be bound or in, in heaven, and whatever you loose on Earth will be loosed in heaven. When you're gathered together, two or three of you, in this context of a forgiving community, I am there among you. And the radical nature of that sets off all of our radar because of the world in which we live. And you know what? The world hasn't changed much in 2000 years because Peter hears this. This guy, Peter, uh, if you're not familiar with Peter, he was an, an early adapter, an early adopter to Jesus in his wild kingdom of God teaching. And Peter turns to Jesus and says, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Because he's got the same question that you and I wanna ask. Do we just lay down and be doormats do we just let someone walk all over us what about the consequences when somebody does something wrong oh i'm getting excited about this how many times should we forgive people what an honest question and peter thinks he's being magnanimous and generous because Jesus gave three examples and Peter says well how many times should we do that seven times and I thought isn't that isn't that how we like to live in a culture that is stripped of grace and mercy is we just revert to bookkeeping where most relationships are grounded in bookkeeping instead of uh, being grounded in the love that God has given us and so we keep an account and Peter's like, let's go with seven. Seven's a nice, hey, it's a, it's a heavenly number. It's a divine number. That sounds like a good number, seven. And then Jesus just blows it out of the water, 70 times seven. And I know some people have read this and went, okay, then then we'll go with 490 times. But that 491st time, forget it. And if I'm understanding this right, what Jesus is, is saying is that forgiveness When it's sourced in God, is not limited. There is no limit to God's forgiveness. I think here's the difficulty, and hopefully, you'll see where we're going here in in uh, in a few minutes. So much of our existence is based on scarcity, in particular in today's day and age. Have you noticed there's not quite as much money for groceries as there used to be, or not quite as much money for gas as there used to be? And so we live in a scarcity model that resources are limited. And yet when it comes to things like God's love and God's grace and God's mercy and God's forgiveness, we must be reminded again and again that these things are unlimited with God. And if they are unlimited with God, God is sending these things to us and they don't stop with us. They flow through us. That forgiveness is not limited. Neither is it conditional. Because you might have a question. Well, what if they don't want to be forgiven? Can we go back to the story here, what we read or the, the teaching that we read? If someone sins against you, go to them. If they refuse, bring someone else. If they refuse again, bring more people. If they refuse then, treat them as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector. This works in our culture. It worked then, it works now. Our culture dictates, or we think our culture is dictating, how we're to respond here. If somebody won't receive forgiveness, then how do you give forgiveness? At some point, you just got to cut them loose. Uh, The early Anabaptists, our early ancestors, would have used phrases like shunning, or you've heard about excommunicating, which, you know, in the, in the 16th century, that was actually a huge leap forward because the other way that Christians were behaving was if the person wasn't doing what you wanted, you killed them. So the, the radical reformers said, well, let's not go that far. Let's at least just shun them. And so a pagan or a or corrupt tax collector, I joke, like tax collectors haven't changed from 2,000 years ago to today. Nobody likes them. No offense to anyone who's here as a tax collector but what's a pagan for Jewish people listening in this teaching a pagan was somebody who was not a Jew that if they associated with them they would make them ritually unclean or religiously unclean so have nothing to do with them and we have people like that today in our world if someone is going to continually refuse forgiveness then just treat them like you would anybody else you don't want to be with there's got to be a limit at some point and you cut them off So we use the the norms of our day and culture to interpret what Jesus is teaching here. But, But I wonder if that's the wrong approach. I wonder if what Jesus is doing here is kind of showing us, if you want to follow the dictates of your culture, this is where it's going to lead. But can I offer you something different, says Jesus? Treat them like a pagan or a corrupt tax collector. The way that I have shown you how to treat pagans and tax collectors. Because here's a question I would ask you when you read the Gospels, how does Jesus treat pagans and tax collectors? Those are the very people he spends most of his time with, to the point that he gets accused of being just like them. When forgiveness is continually refused, it is more opportunity to extend love and grace and mercy and to lean heavily on the God who will help us journey further down that road of forgiveness, as difficult as it might be. It's not limited, it's not conditional. And let's be honest, forgiveness is not reconciliation. In this teaching that Jesus gives, there's the awareness that unless forgiveness is received, it won't result in reconciliation between peoples. And the goal of forgiveness is reconciliation. You know, as Anabaptists, Uh, People wonder what Anabaptists are, and sometimes I I capture it in, in three things, that as Anabaptists, Jesus is the center of our faith, community is the center of our lives, and reconciliation is the center of our work. And yet we realize that reconciliation may not always happen, because it takes giving of forgiveness, but it also takes receiving it, and it takes two parties coming together who would be willing to move into this area of reconciliation. And yet we we recognize in the teaching of Jesus here that it may not happen. He uses the word if, if they refuse, if they refuse. He understands the complexities of it all. And it's so wonderful to see the graciousness of his teaching here. When you first read this passage, it seems kind of harsh. And as you sit with it and you let the Holy Spirit open your eyes to what Jesus is doing here, the scope of the grace and the mercy that is imbued in this teaching is is palpable. And there's a recognition that reconciliation may not happen. And forgiveness is not the same as reconciliation, but it is the goal. And there's something else that you might pick up on, you might not. And what forgiveness is not. It's not something that you have to do alone. Have you seen the sequence here? Have you seen what's happening as Jesus goes through this teaching? Somebody has done something to you and they've offended you and you need to point it out. I don't know if you've ever tried this. If somebody's actually done something to hurt you and you've actually taken the courage to go to them and say, can we talk? If you've ever done that, you know what cold hands feel like and a racing heart and a dry mouth are. And then to have that person just shove that back in your face. I did nothing wrong. And then the courage it takes to bring somebody else in that you trust, that you love, that isn't going to sabotage the situation and love that person enough to come back to them and say, I value this relationship. I so want this to get worked out. We need to talk about this. And there's three of you. And the person says, I did nothing wrong. And then the invitation to invite others into that process, it is hard work. It is not easy. It's not limited or conditional. And you don't have to do it alone. And I wonder if you're here and you're struggling with someone in your life. If you go to the notes that, that we provide with the sermons and just um, look at the, the discussion questions that follow. There's some questions in there just to help you reflect and to think through. Is there somebody in my life that I'm having difficulty extending forgiveness to? And what i see in the passage here if if i'm understanding it correctly is that it's not something that you have to do by yourself. And again, in our culture, uh, the norm is you keep this stuff in the closet and you do this by yourself and you don't tell anybody that there's conflict in your life. Because we all know that everybody's life is wonderful. All you need to do is go on social media to see that. There's a beauty of inviting other people in this journey. To walk with you the journey of forgiveness it's a long road it's a lifetime road but it's not a road that you have to walk alone and the final thing I would say about all this is is that forgiveness is not possible without Jesus Jesus instructed his followers and gave us this awareness that we can be a forgiving people because God is a forgiving God. But there are lots of people who don't profess faith in the God that we discover in Jesus. And yet, I would suggest for them that forgiveness is not possible without Jesus. We are all made in the image of God. The creator, Jesus himself, was present in creation. And one of the early leaders... Uh, in the church, a guy named Paul, who had a profound experience with Jesus. He wrote a letter to a group of Christians. It's called Colossians. And in chapter one, verse 15, he says, Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before all creation. In him and through him, all things exist. And in him and through him and for him, all things are held together. So even for those that might say, I'm not sure I believe in the God that you're talking about. I would just advocate that they have the spark of eternity within them because they're made in the image of our creator. And therefore they can live out forgiveness because Jesus has been present from the beginning and is holding all things together and has reconciled humanity to God and to each other. I want to finish with the story from this book. And you pick up, it's about Christians and Muslims. And if you think, why is he pointing out the Muslim woman in the first story? You just need to remember who were the people who were beating her. It was the Christians. But Vol finishes with this story. Well, he doesn't finish with story. I'm finishing with his story because I think it's so beautiful with the hope of forgiveness, even though we've looked at what forgiveness is not. It's not a journey you have to walk alone. But he writes about Ivo Markovic, a Franciscan monk from Bosnia who was caught in the whirlwind of the war in the mid-1990s in which Croats, Bosnians, and Serbs were fighting each other with blood flowing and homes burning on all sides Muslim Bosnians had massacred 21 men from the village in which Father Markovic was born. Nine of them were members of his family, all feeble senior citizens, innocent of any crimes, the youngest of whom was his 71-year-old father. Three years after the massacre, in the fall of 1996, Father Markovic visited his home village occupying the house in which his brother used to live was a fierce Muslim woman. He was warned not to go there because she brandished a rifle to protect her new home. He went anyway. As he approached the house, she was waiting for him, cigarette in her mouth and rifle cocked, and she barked, go away or I'll shoot you. No, you won't shoot me, said Father Markovich in a gentle but firm voice. You'll make a cup of coffee for me. She stared at him for a while and then slowly put the rifle down and went to the kitchen. Taking the last bit of coffee she had, she mixed in some already used grounds to make enough coffee for two cups, and they, deadly enemies, began to talk as they partook in the ancient ritual of hospitality, drinking coffee together. She told him of her loneliness, of the home she had lost, of the son who never returned from the battlefield. And when Father Markovitch returned a month later, she told him, I rejoice at seeing you as much as if my son had returned home. Did they talk about forgiveness? I don't know. In a sense, it doesn't matter. He, the victim, came to her asking for her hospitality in his brother's home, which she unrightfully possessed, and she responded, though she greeted him with a rifle, she gave him a gift and came to rejoice at his presence. The humble, tenuous beginnings of a journey toward embrace were enacted through a ritual of coffee drinking. If the journey continues, it will lead through the difficult terrain of forgiveness." It's not a journey that you have to walk alone. It's not possible without Jesus. And I would suggest that it's not possible without community. And I leave you to consider those words. This is what I'd like to do as we wrap up our time here this morning i'm going to invite you to pray a prayer with me we're going to put it up on the screen here and we're just going to kind of say it slowly so i'm not going to invite you to read it i'm going to invite you to speak it with me and i'm hoping you can see the words Uh, i'm still learning about not using the big screen and switching to the television but i invite you to pray this prayer kind of as a response to our journey of growing and becoming a forgiving people So, pray this prayer with me. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you this day in thought, in word, and in deed by what we have done and what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart, and we have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry, and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we might delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory and honor of your name. Amen. Amen. I don't know if you're struggling with forgiveness or somebody you know is struggling with it. I just encourage you, it's not something you have to do alone. I'll leave you with that. Next week, when you come back, we're going to look at what forgiveness is. And if you want to do some homework, just read the end of Matthew 18 because we're going to look at the story that Jesus tells to help us learn about forgiveness. We'll see you next Sunday.